This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. So I'm taking over the reins this week from Dakota, and we are celebrating the eighth anniversary of ContraZoom Pod. So on the April 21st, 2015, we got the number one movie in Canada and the U.S. is Furious 7. The Toronto Blue Jays are 14 games into their most memorable season in recent memory, which will end in the first playoff berth since 1993. The Toronto Maple Leafs are 10 days removed from a pretty terrible 68-point season. And in Toronto, Ontario, Dakota Arsenault, little old Dakota, he went to high school with a recent Oscar winner and an acting student of Sheila McCarthy. He pit, hit publish on ContraZoomPod's first ever episode, which was ranking the best picture winners from 1927 to 1937. Over the last eight years, Dakota has recorded over 200 episodes. He's had three co-hosts, including Andreas Babiolakis, Rachel Gordon, and of course myself. And he's had many, many guests to help him with these 200 episodes, such as Stephanie Pryor, Sammy Felschenfield. Felschenfeld, did I say that right? Yes. Bill Antonio, Matthew Simpson, Jeff Ballmer, and Pierre Fragon. And before we get into this week's episode, I haven't actually cleared this with Dakota, but I wanted to do a little Q&A with you about the podcast, and we'll see how this goes. Oh, boy. But I know I should have actually probably given you these questions earlier, but it's fine. Why did you want to start ContraZoom in the first place? I don't think I've ever actually asked you that. Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Okay. Uh, so Andreas and I were both writers for Live in Limbo, and that's where the podcast started. Uh, we okay. were mostly doing concert reviews. I did concert photography as well. And Andreas had sort of started the film section on that publication by doing movie reviews. Uh, mostly just, uh, you know, he would go to the movies and, and write about it, but was slowly trying to get media accreditation to attend press screenings and stuff like that. And and I thought that was pretty cool. We were working together at the time, so we kind of like were able to just talk all day about this idea of the podcast. And there was already a music podcast going on. And Sean Chin, the owner of Live in Limbo, Andreas was like his main co-host sort of thing. And so they were always doing the music stuff. And then like uh, every once in a while they would do film stuff. And then they'd asked me to come on a couple times and we talked about movies and all that sort of fun stuff. And that kind of just led to Andreas and I talking about doing our own show and uh, and trying to figure out how to how to make it work and what was our, you know, what, what was our thing going to be? Because, you know, podcasts at the time in in you know 2015 2014 2015 they were still emerging like they were they were still Mm -hmm. very much a apple specific thing where it was like they're called podcast because the ipod um so that's i never put that together Mm -hmm. oh shit that's why it's called podcast that's so funny yeah yeah oh wow uh so it was still a very specific thing and, and apple was sort of the be all and end all i know there were other podcasting platforms but they were basically just stealing the rss feed from apple to repost <laughs> it onto a dedicated podcast player but that was you know way above my my skill set and uh and yeah so it was just sort of you know bantering back and forth of like how how do we make this sort of thing and and what do we want to look like? And, and, you know, it's funny. I've, I've said this a few times and I realized some people I think might take offense to it, but the idea was that we didn't want it to be a movie of the week podcast. Mm-hmm. And I have mm-hmm. nothing against those. I think those are fantastic. I love what awesome Friday does and classic movies live do and film spotting, which is, you know, probably the biggest show we've modeled ourselves after. Um, 
but like shows like that where I really like that, you know, you can you can look at what's the newest releases and, and review them and stuff like that. And and for me, I think it was just like I don't go to the theater on opening weekend. I'm not really getting into press screenings. I've gone to a few and you know, it's a, it's a good time and all that sort of stuff, but like usually not the big releases. And at the time I had zero contact. So like you look at uh, what awesome Friday does what what Matthew and Simon does, and they've built up a huge roster of contacts mm-hmm. of being able to reach out to every distributor and being like, Hey, you've got this new project coming out. We want to review it. And they're like, yep, no problem. You look through the movies that they review. And I'm always impressed the quality of movies that they're able to get big and small. And and that's hard work because like there's, there's times now where like even small movies, like I'll email the distributor. I'll be like, Hey, can, uh, can I review this? And they'll be like, Mm, we're gonna hold off and you know <laughs> maybe when the movie comes out on dvd you can reach out to us and just like what what the hell are you talking about i'm trying to give you free publicity <laughs> that's a little behind the scenes stuff that most people probably won't know and probably only like you and maybe five other people are gonna find that funny <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah so it was just sort of like how do we make this and and it was very much you know the idea first was watching uh all the old best picture winners. So that's why the very first episode was ranking the best picture winners from the first decade of the Oscars. And then that became like a recurring segment and it took us quite a long time to actually finish and catch up. Uh, and later this year, we're actually going to do uh, the next, the last five best picture winners. So, you know, look for that eventually. Uh, but yeah, didn't know that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> News to me. You're, you probably won't be on that episode because you, yeah. Cause I don't less. care for the Oscars. <laughs> but yeah, Let's does that sort honest. of answer the question? It does. No, it does. I like. I find it funny when I was like writing this, which was just maybe uh, an hour ago. Um, I was thinking of like, oh, I want to ask Dakota some questions, but I'd already asked you, I think, last year, like, what's your favorite episode that you've done and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so I don't want to do that again. Um, even though I'm sure there's some like people who haven't heard that, but I'm sure you can go back and uh, Dakota. I'm sure you you can you can link that episode. You want me to um, link to the better know contributor Dakota Arsenal episode? Yeah, I can definitely do that. There you go. Um, but I, I kind of just thought, like, what have I personally not don't know about the podcast? Because, um, I mean, this probably says more about me, but like, I haven't really asked you that much about, you know, how it started or why it started. Uh, and like, what was kind of, I, I guess this kind of goes on to another question, which was like, what was the goal that you and Andreas had when you first started? Or was it just to kind of have fun and make a podcast? Yeah, it's sort of funny. I think the original goal, and and this was probably more of an Andreas goal, was wanting to be on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So so that was that was sort of Andreas's goal where he was sort of trying to figure out what's the process to get on there. And mm-hmm. and I'm sure a lot of people, you know, use Rotten Tomatoes as a barometer of like is a movie mm-hmm. is a new movie good or bad and that sort of thing. And people some people have issues with it, some people love it, all that sort of stuff. But like I think regardless, it's still sort of a um point of pride for a lot of critics to get on Rotten Tomatoes and be a tomato-approved critic because it just sort of says something about your legitimacy that, you know, there's only a couple hundred critics that are tomato-approved, tomato-meter-approved or whatever it's it's called. Um, And so I think that was sort of our idea. And I guess we were a little naive of thinking a podcast would get us onto that because I don't know, I, I feel like for the most part, everyone that's on there is because of written criticism, not because of podcasts. So I will say, I mean, I don't know what this was like back in 2015, obviously, but um, 
I recently applied for Rotten Tomatoes um, because I need to. And they do have a section for podcasts. Like there is um, a, uh, like they have a list of criteria of like eligibility. And um, I think now they include people who do like YouTube stuff or podcasts. And um, maybe even if you're on TV, you Mm. might be able to do it. But like they've, they've now kind of incorporated that. But I don't know in terms of how many, people are actually coming in under that umbrella versus Mm -hmm. i i think you're right like it's mostly written uh but they do kind of make way for it because i think you have to at this point like there are so many uh, movie reviewers who do podcasts or to do youtube channels and they're very good and they're very very legit and they reach quite a wide audience so um it would be very silly of rotten tomatoes not to do it what's your view on rotten tomatoes are you are you for it are you against it um I I think it is a useful service if you understand the methodology and how it works. A lot of yeah. people sort of just blanket go, well, you know, it, it's got a 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, yeah, but what does that sort of mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people sort of forget that it's basically it's it's a, it's basically a binary binary thumbs up thumbs down rating and an 80% fresh rate just means 80% of people gave it a thumbs up. Not that they loved it or is the best thing ever. They just said, yeah, I liked it enough to give it a thumbs up. I would half-heartedly recommend it. So it's such a a scale. And I think it's one of those things where if you're looking, like, I wouldn't look at the IMDb rating. I wouldn't look at the Letterboxd rating. I wouldn't look at the Rotten Tomatoes or the Metacritic or things like that. Any of that on their own. But, like, if you're wanting to, like, build a sort of case of, like, what was a reception of a movie, I'd be like, all right, well, look, IMDb is the most film bro basic thing, but they gave it this score. Letterboxd is similar, but a little bit more highbrow. Metacritic is probably a bit closer to an actual critic's ranking, per se. Uh, And then Rotten Tomatoes is just more of like, what is the volume? So if you sort of look at all of those numbers together, you could probably get a good idea. But I don't trust Rotten Tomatoes on its own without sort of being like, okay, well, what are they actually saying that makes it fresh or makes it rotten? I think it's a nice temperature gauge, like just in Mm. terms of how are people feeling about this movie. I really like how they have uh, the, what do they call it? The audience score right next to the critic score, because I find that fascinating. I find it really interesting when you compare the two. And sometimes, sometimes they're aligned. I actually would say, I think more times than not, they are aligned. Yeah. But then the times that they're not, it is wildly off like it is incredible and then it obviously generates a lot of discussion online yeah um about oh critics are so out of touch with audience what what audiences are looking for what was was the most oh um uh super mario brothers that was probably Mm. the most recent one that there was a massive massive divide on that uh in terms of critics hating it except me i loved it (laughs) and um audiences really enjoying it so yeah i i I like that aspect of it i just find it interesting but i'm with you i wouldn't take any of those ratings really um to to gauge whether or not a movie is good i mean you can only gauge if a movie is good by watching it yourself like truly that's that's really the only way you can figure it out but i think it's an interesting I guess social experiment almost of just seeing like where it's falling and, and how people are looking at it. And I also like it. And I mean, this is kind of why so many critics try to get onto Rotten Tomatoes is because it's a good way to go on and just seeing uh, rather than just Googling like the movie title plus review, you have all of the review, like not all of them, but um, I suppose trusted reviews or like good reviews that mm-hmm. are being written 
on it. And so then you can kind of go through the comments um, from there. So I, I, I like that aspect of it. But other than that, I am awaiting my results from my application. So I'll be quiet about Rotten Tomatoes. They rock. <laughs> They're the best. Yeah. Um, but okay. And then the, the only other thing, and I don't know if you really even want to answer this, but it was kind of starting from where, when you and Andreas first began. So, and the show has gone through quite a number of changes, I would say. But I think one thing that has remained the same, though, is that is your steadfast nature of saying like you wanted it to be about movies in general, not movie of the week, as you said. And you wanted it to go into kind of like dig deeper into like older movies and have more themed shows of like the A24 series is a good example, the make remakes um, and your spotlights on different studios, things like that, which I think are very uh, illustrative of, of what ContraZoom is. Have you like, are you happy with, I suppose from where you started to where you are now or, and I'm sure there is always going to be things that you want to change and you want to improve, but like in terms of from eight years ago to today, would the Dakota from eight years ago be like, yeah, I'm like, I'm really cool with what we've done in the last eight years. Yeah, I'm I'm immensely proud of of the changes the show has made. Uh, I, I think first and foremost, the, the one thing I've always sort of strived for is the quality of the audio itself is really paramount mm. to me because, you know, there, there's nothing worse than when you turn on a podcast and be like, yeah, I think it sounds interesting but like you know i can't hear half the guests and <laughs> one person super loud and one person super quiet and, and all that sort of stuff and and so quality has always kind of been the very first thing and and to sort of back up the quality of the audio i also want the quality of the conversation to be there as well and i feel like i feel like that's maybe why you and i work so well is is I feel like the quality of our conversation, the amount of time that I, I finish recording and my wife's like, so how was it? I'm like, yeah, I think Rachel and I had a really good conversation, like especially after the a recent one, the Canadian Screen Awards. Yeah, talk. that was a I, really good one. Yeah, I finished. I was like, man, I don't know if anyone's going to care about that episode, <laughs> but that was probably one of our best discussions I think you and I have ever had. I agree. I actually really agree. And it's I always think sorry to jump in on this, but like I always think it's the ones that I don't think that we have much to talk about. Mm. Like I'm always kind of like, God, how are we going to fill time? And I should tell <laughs> people before you and i started recording that one you were like i want to keep this to 30 minutes and i was like yeah yeah, sure and in my head i was like there's we'll we'll whip through this episode so quickly like there's not much to talk about yeah. and then it ends up i agree with you i actually think it's probably one of our better conversations yeah yeah for sure uh and you know i i really really struggled at the beginning coming up with uh topics for episodes mm-hmm. and andreas was was always a very big dreamer and so he would like kind of come up with with topics and i'd be like cool okay can you sort of distill this into what like our our, our schedule of, of talking points would sort of be like what sort of prep work would we need to do and that was something he always sort of struggled with of uh sharpening his ideas i guess is sort mm-hmm. of the best way to say it. he came up with some really great ideas and stuff that i've seen him do on his his he has a website now called uh films fatale um which is a very popular film blog and i've seen him I, it's, it's sort of funny looking at some of the stuff i've seen i'm like hey i've we talked about this like eight years ago uh, <laughs> and seeing that pop up and I'm, I'm very happy he's he's been able to kind of hone in and do the stuff he's wanted to do. But yeah, it was very much being like, okay, cool. But how do we make that into a podcast? And and I really struggled. If you look at like the release schedule of like our first couple seasons, it was all over the place. 
my goal was like once every two weeks and I'd be lucky if I could do, you know, two episodes in a month and a half sort of thing sometimes where I would go on like a two month hiatus and we'd come back and be like, okay, what are we going to talk about now? Um, so that was always a struggle. And it wasn't until I was like able to be like, Hey, look, you know, I know what I'm doing. I, I can apply for film festivals. I can reach out to other podcasters and movie critics and things like this. And, and sort of start to build a show around that where it's not just, I felt like I had to, like the weight had to be on me. And as soon as I realized, I'm like, Hey, no, you know what? I can lean on other people and their expertise things got a whole lot easier and lighter for me. Like, especially once you came on board and you were able to kind of help out with um, coming up with show directions and and doing like our intro scripts and, and all this sort of stuff. That was a huge weight off my shoulders. But just in general, like being like, oh, you know, figuring out what um, what another podcast or what their specialty is and I can kind of craft a show around what they're good at made my life so much easier and I think that's been the the biggest changes going on is once I became hostless for a period of time a co-hostless for a period of time and was like hey you know I'm gonna start making friends within the community because before that I no one I was basically literally only leaning on people I actually knew and like was friends with sort of thing. And, and I ran out of people real quick that <laughs> wanted to like be on a podcast. that was knowledgeable about film and all that sort of stuff. Um, so as soon as I started being like, Oh no, you know, use Twitter to your advantage, use Instagram to your advantage and become friends with these people. It became so much easier because everyone wants to promote their own show. So yeah. you know what? Use that, use that to your advantage. And it's also nice, like it's nice to get the different perspectives and like, and if those guys are doing or girls are doing um, podcasts themselves, so that's like, they know, they know how to do a podcast. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they know how to come onto a mic and, and speak intelligently and, and humorously about films and, and all that kind of stuff. Because it's one of those, it's a different skill set, I think, to be able to like some people are really great at this side of it, like just talking about it. Some people are really great at just writing about it, but not mm -hmm. necessarily if you're good at writing doesn't mean you're good at talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I think it's cool. I think it's really neat, like kind of um, how long have I been doing this with you now? Two years? No. Yeah, about two years now, I think. The two years? Yeah. Uh, it's been cool, like seeing how like the different podcasts that um like I, I didn't really listen to podcasts before i still don't really listen to that many podcasts to be honest um but it's been really cool to like kind of get a peek into that world a little bit through you um and meeting people like matthew and uh jeff and pierre and simon like uh callum you know like i wouldn't have definitely never would have crossed paths with those guys um otherwise because yeah, I don't I don't do that thing of making friends on the internet, really. Although I have made some friends over the internet, but that was pandemic induced, so that's different. Um, but anyways, that's cool. Congratulations on eight years. Uh well done. I think that it is tough. Like I know eight years doesn't seem like a long time, but it also seems like a really, really long time. <laughs> yeah. Um and I think it's really tough, especially in those years. I think the part that I'm most impressed with you about is the times that you were by yourself. Because I know if it were me, I probably would just dropped it. Like if I didn't have somebody else kind of pushing me along to do it, I would have found it really difficult to continue on. Especially if you don't, you're like, who other than my mom is listening <laughs> to this? Yeah. Um, and it's tough. So I know it's really, really difficult to keep the motivation up high. And so I'm very impressed that you've been able to, even without a co-host um, for 
a good chunk of the eight years you didn't have a co-host, I would say. Um, so I think it's very impressive that you've done that. So congratulations. Thank you. I would actually almost say those years where I was kind of on my own were easier and more monumental to crafting the show what it is today than than my previous co-hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I think is very helpful with, with having you as the co-host is one, your game for pretty much anything. And two, I think while our, our actual tastes can be quite different of, of what we actually like, <laughs> um, we're, we're both pretty much willing to watch just about anything. Yeah. And you, and you have enough of a, a history of like watching older movies and stuff like that. Like there's some people like I'll try to get on and they're like, Oh yeah, I haven't watched movies before 2010. And it's like, what? Like, <laughs> What if you want to talk about like Martin Scorsese in the seventies or something like that? And I'm like, well, I haven't seen any Martin Scorsese movies before Wolf of Wall Street, sort of thing. It's like, uh, what? <laughs> imagine, imagine being like, oh, Martin Scorsese, yeah, the Wolf of Wall Street guy, right? Him, yeah, yeah, yeah right. I like him. I'm, I'm just using that as an example. There, no, no, I know, no I know. been like that, but like, but like, it's it's true, and and so I think having you being so open to watch just about anything and also having a very wide film base. And I think our interests overlap is like, we're both really big fans of international cinema as well. That mm-hmm. makes it really easy for me to come up with episode ideas where like we use a Google spreadsheet to sort of keep our, our schedule up to date and like I'll throw something up on there and you'll be like, cool. Yeah, that, that sounds great. I've, I've watched this movie before. I've been meaning to watch this or I'm sort of familiar on this subject or, Oh, I know someone that that will be good for this. And and so I think it's made it a lot easier because before, especially with, with Andres and Rachel Gordon, it was very much like, okay, what are you a fan of? How can I make that a show where like, I'm not asking you to do too much work or homework or things like that. And, and, and for this now where we're at, where I think we're at a really good place where I'm like, Hey, I want to, I want to do this. And you're like, great, let's do that. Or if there's times you'll be like, I don't really know anything about that. It'll be like, cool. Now I can bring Bill in if I want to, or Mm -hmm. bring Matthew in or, or whoever it might be, uh, that's a little bit more niche. in. so having those hostless years was really great at being like, Hey, if it's not working out for the one person I want to have on the show, that's fine. I'll just ask someone else and we'll be able to do it. It's good. It's that, like, what is it? Like the necessity breeds, um, not invention. I mean, it does breed yeah, invention, yeah. but like, I just creativity, I suppose, is this idea of like being flexible in that. I suppose, I think one thing that works with you and I is that we're both just enjoy, like, I think we're both curious about movies, generally speaking, as opposed mm-hmm. to saying like, we only really like movies because we like this one specific genre of yeah. film. Um, although you and I obviously have our preferences to the ones that we enjoy watching more than others. And sometimes you're wrong and nineties action movies are excellent, but that's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Go, go on your other little podcast and talk about speed then. Listen, listen, I, I don't even want to talk about this with you. Okay. Like you just disrespect speed and I don't want to talk about this because I'm about to go on to their classic movies live as a shout out to Jeff and Pierre. Um, and we're going to talk about speed. So it's going to be great. I know Jeff is listening to this right now, so. Excellent. Um, but yeah, okay, let's move on to the actual episode. Um, but yeah, again, congratulations on eight years. I think it Thank is you. a very good accomplishment in, in the podcasting industry, profession, world, whatever, landscape. Um, I think it's really, really cool what you've been able to do. So, um, Right, so for this week's episode, 
obviously Dakota and Andrea started this in 2015, as I said. So they did a top 10 of 2015, which is the first top 10 that they, um, the show ever did, obviously, because it's, it's the first year. That's episode 20. Uh, and I'm sure Pierre, uh, Pierre, I'm sure Dakota <laughs> will very kindly um, link that below. Recently, Dakota has been doing a blog post series um, where he is counting back from 2014 onwards. I don't know how long you're going to planning on doing this for, by the way, and doing his top tens for all of the years um, prior to 2015. So we thought there was a bit of confusion. I'll admit there's a bit of confusion between Dakota and I about what we were actually doing, but I thought it would be fun to do an episode of our favorite movies from 2014. So Dakota has written a blog blog post on this, but we are going to do a podcast version of it. And then also that way I can give my top tens as well. So how this is going to work is we're going to go through our 10 through six pretty quickly, and then we'll go into the five through one a little deeper. I'm sure we're going to have quite a bit of overlap anyways. So Dakota, why don't we go with you first? Do you want to go through your 10 through six first? Yeah, sure. I think the the very first thing I want to start out with is movies that I haven't seen that mm-hmm. may have made my list if I had. So it's sort of interesting when I wrote this blog post last year i think there was only maybe one movie that made my list that i'd seen like post you know 2015 or so uh basically everything i'd seen back then so i'm I'm gonna be a little rusty with some of them but there's a handful of movies that i have not seen from this year that if i if i were to watch it probably would be in contention for my top 10 uh and that is a girl walks home alone at night the anna lily amapur film uh pride i don't know the director of it but it's the the british uh, queer protest film, uh, Force Majeure, uh, Clouds of Sils Maria, and Maps of the Stars, the the Cronenberg one. That that one's probably the most iffy, but I really like Cronenberg, and who knows, maybe that would have, I know that one's not well-received, maybe that one would have hit my sweet spot. Um, but yeah, so I will quickly go through my 10 through 6. In number 10, I've got Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the Matt Reeves sequel to Rise of the Planet of the Apes where the the second two the last two films in in this trilogy are some of the best action uh, movies in the last you know decade plus sort of thing uh, and, and totally surpass the first one. Number nine is Edge of Tomorrow, the Doug Lyman movie. The the movie that was like so hard to find an audience and features Tom Cruise in probably one of his best performances because he seems so self-aware in this movie. And I hate that they tried to rebrand it when they released it on video of Live, Die, Repeat and be like, oh, it's a new movie. It's called Live, Die, Repeat <laughs> and total nonsense. But like Tom Cruise at, at some of his best and... Um, uh, and, and uh, what's her name in it? Emily Blunt is just absolutely fantastic in it too. Uh, number eight, Wild, the Jean-Marc Vallier film, uh, the dearly departed Jean-Marc Vallier. I absolutely adored his uh, French-Canadian movie, Crazy. It is so good. I, I liked The Young Victoria and was pretty mixed on Dallas Buyers Club. And so I was having pretty diminishing returns with Valier's movies. And then Wild, the Reese Witherspoon uh, hiking the Pacific Coast Trail on her own sort of thing really sort of reinvigorated my appreciation for him. And, and probably my favorite Reese Witherspoon performance as well. Really fantastic movie. Number seven, this one's probably going to be pretty high on just about everyone's list of, of the year, probably their number ones, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's high up on your list too, is Whiplash, the Damien Chazelle film. 
I really do like this movie, uh, but it's one of those movies where it's I, I've watched it once, and as much as I love it, I, I don't really want to rewatch it because it's such an intense movie. Everyone has those types of movies where they're like, loved it, absolutely adored it, never going to watch it again sort of thing. Uh, I, I call it the the Requiem for a Dream type movie. Uh, obviously very different movies, but still uh, incredible performance by J.K. Simmons. At number six is Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, the Wes Anderson movie. This was a movie that when it came out, I was pretty low on. I was actually pretty disappointed with it, and I've sort of grown to appreciate it in the years since it's come out. I've rewatched it a couple times since then, and and I think I really appreciate Ray Fiennes in a comedic role. Between like this and Hail Caesar, I, I absolutely love when Ray Fiennes does this comedy. He does this great, like buffoonish character so well this he's so <laughs> snobby and pompous and and that's sort of where you get the the laughs from and yeah grand budapest is probably wes anderson at his most wes anderson um up until the french dispatch which is another movie i'm not very high on of his uh but it's still very good and 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 i love a lot of the supporting performances in it so that's my uh my bottom five of my top 10 I can just add in Bruges as one of Ray Fiennes' finest comedic oh. moments. S- similar sort of thing, where yeah. he's very snobby. That's obviously a bit more of a different sort of Yeah, it's a different comedy, yeah. but yeah. Because he great. is the bad guy in that movie. But yeah, Ray Fiennes in comedy, sign me up every day. He's so good. I uh, Yeah, I'm just thinking about in Bruges now. Um, okay, <laughs> I have actually quite a bit of overlap with you. Um, three of... My really bottom three five. Bottom yes. five? Wow. Three of them are overlap. Not in the same spots, but yeah, three of them um are overlap, which is which is fun. So my number ten is the imitation game. Um I really the reason I put this in is I remember watching it and I wasn't overly keen on it before, but then I recently wrote something that included this movie. And so I kind of thought about it again. And I watched a few clips from it. I didn't watch the whole movie again, but watched a clips. And I realized I really, really love this movie. Like I actually think it's a great, great film. I love Kara Knightley in it. I love Benedict Cumberbatch in it. I think the story is absolutely amazing. If you don't know about like Alan Turing's life, it's incredibly tragic and sad. But um yeah, I, I love Imitation Game. I think it's such a great movie and I don't want to say it wasn't appreciated at its time. I think it was because um, it did get nominated for things. It was critically well-received. But yeah, I think in the years that Benedict Cumberbatch has been working, this is one of those that maybe gets lost. Although I think it's probably one of his best performances, though, I think. Number nine, you're going to love this one for my number nine, is The Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's so I so I don't like Wes Anderson. I'm not a huge Wes Anderson person. I have called people who watch his movies unicycles on twats. No, what do I call them? Twats on unicycles. The other yeah. way around. Yeah, you um, called me that, so yes. Unicycles on twats. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I. It's so funny you say it's like the most Wes Anderson movie because to me it's the least Wes Anderson movie. Um, and I, I think that's just because all his other. I just don't really. I shouldn't say that. I like Wes Anderson movies, but I think. It just annoys me that I feel like he does the same thing over and over again. So there's not much. It's just the same. Like, I, yeah, I just feel like it's the same thing over and over again. And um, I get kind of bored with that. But probably because of Ray Fiennes, to be honest, I think that's probably why I enjoyed Grand Budapest Hotel so much, because I thought it was incredibly funny, his funniest movie. And I just really enjoyed it. I It was kind of the first time that I really liked a Wes Anderson movie. So that ended up on my top 10. 
Number eight is Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. Like you said, I don't think I've actually gone back to watch it a second time. It's a really hard watch. Mm-hmm. I love it, though. I think Damien Chazelle is one of those directors that even though I know he he's becoming a little bit divisive um, as his movies kind of go on, but I love it. I think he's such a talented filmmaker. And I think him and Justin Hurwitz in um, particular, I love the duo that they've kind of this partnership that they've created in terms of marrying music to film it's in such a great great way and it's clear that he has such a a penchant for music as well and i love that he kind of incorporates that into his his films and miles teller is yeah pretty incredible as is jk simmons obviously my number seven is edge of tomorrow i think this i love tom cruise a big tom cruise fan um i really like emily blunt as well for all the reasons that you said pretty much i think it's one of it's kind of an oddly underrated um, action movie and probably because of all the rebranding that it went under um, that you talked about already, mm-hmm. but it's, it's great. It's such a, such a good movie. Like it's so, so good. And it reminds me, I always loved like the, when he comes back into um, not come back to life. What is it like when the cycle repeats itself and he kind of ends up at, it reminds me of a video game when you just kind of yeah. like respawn. Um, I really enjoyed that. So um number six is under the skin we've talked about this we've already done an a24 um retrospective on this with callum i believe right we did this with callum because it's scotland yep um i love this movie i think it is an incredible film i think scarlett johansson's amazing in it yeah we've already talked about this so i'm not going to go into it um anymore but it's uh yeah that's my number six Nice. I included under the skin in my 2013 list it has it's one of those movies um, yeah, where. Weird. Uh, it, it came out festivals and then has wide release date and different years sort of thing. So I didn't know where to include it. So I, I did it from, I believe that it's festival premiere. So that's why it's not on my list here. So I do adore that movie. So, uh, <laughs> no one, yes. Uh, um, yeah, we, wow. We have a lot of overlap already. A lot and, of overlap, yeah. which I was pretty impressed with. Cause as we were just saying, you and I sometimes diverge a bit, but I actually think mm-hmm. this year was a really good year in movies. Don't you think like 2014? was like a, I was going through the list of all the movies I'm like this was a solid year for film yeah I I wouldn't call it like one of the best years but I think like top level across the board there was a lot of like really good movies mm-hmm. uh where I'm like it, it's not like you know buoyed by one or two movies incredible movies and the rest is like ah eh. it's like no everything is like really yeah. good like a, a solid you know b plus a minus sort of thing across the board yeah um okay what's your number five Okay, my number five is Interstellar, the Christopher Nolan movie. Mm. And, you know, the the complaints about this movie and Nolan's career in general, that he's so cold and calculated and unemotional and all this sort of stuff. I'm always scratching my head, especially when when that criticism is directed towards this movie, because I think Interstellar is probably his most emotional film to date. Obviously, there's like a few key scenes in particular when, you know, Matthew McConaughey is, you know, watching the videos from his daughters. He's crying and all that sort of stuff. But in general, this is, you know, just a very creative and fantastic film. And I love the look. And it's probably, you know, the best looking sci-fi, naturalistic sci-fi movie since like 2001. And and I, mm. I adore just everything about the way this movie looks and feels and all that sort of stuff. I'm a big Chris Nolan fan. I love all, including Interstellar. I love all of his movies. I just, I don't think he has a bad movie on his, like kind of like Denis Villeneuve, right? Like, I don't think that they have a bad movie on their filmography. Mm -hmm. 
Interstellar, though, for me, ranks at probably the bottom. And th- when I, I say the bottom, bottom Chris Nolan is still like... It's still pretty high up, yeah. Very, still very good in the grand scheme yeah. of things. But it's just his movie that I... I don't know. I, I watch it and I forget about it all the time. Like, it's just one of the more... Forget- and I've heard people... The people who love it, they really do talk about the emotional um, aspects of it with McConaughey and um, not Chastain. I guess kind of Chastain a little bit, yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I It just felt very... Of his movies, maybe it's because he was trying to do the emotional thing. It kind of put me off a little bit. I was like, eh, I don't need this from a Chris Nolan movie. That's the other thing. I don't understand why people need his movies to be warm and fuzzy. That mm. is not the kind of filmmaker <laughs> he is. Like, there's plenty of other filmmakers. To go. So I, I find that really odd. But I also think it's a strange criticism because to me, I think Inception is a very, a very emotional movie. And that's probably his best, best known, best. Um, I think it's the movie that he's probably. Oh no, Dark Knight, I suppose, is probably his uh, I, I feel like Inception would most people would consider his his That's his crown jewel, film. right? Yeah, like that's the yeah. thing for, for a Chris Nolan movie. And I, I think that movie's incredibly emotional. So I never really understood that criticism that people put against Chris Nolan. But yeah, Interstellar for me, it's 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 a bottom a bottom Chris Nolan movie. That's um, fair. What's the bottom, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh what's your number five? So my number five is another movie that we've talked about and might be considered a 2013 i don't know but it is Locke. uh it's tom hardy and yeah again we did another a24 episode on this one with uh thomas stoneham judge i think i believe so i think that's who we did this one with um i adore it i love single not single scene but like i love when movies are kind of like stage plays and i know that that can be off-putting to a lot of people some people don't really like that format of film i enjoy it a lot and and i love the I don't want to call it an innovation, but like, I love the kind of the shtick of the movie that we just stay with Tom Hardy in the car the whole time. And we get the, the film, like we get the story through phone calls um, through to him. And, and it's, we're figuring out why is he on the road? Where is he driving to all this kind of thing. So I love how the movie just kind of unravels in those pieces. Um, I know you're not as high on it, but yeah, for me, it's one of my favorite. I think it's my favorite Tom Hardy movie, actually. Although Bronson's really up there as well. Um, but I, I really, really love this movie and have watched it many, many times, actually. It's one of those mood movies that I, I can have it on in the background. And I quite like like the vibe movies. Vibe movies. I think that's a genre. It's yeah. not I'm making it one because it's great. <laughs> I love Locke. Yeah, I, I think it's probably pretty well documented at this point that I'm pretty mixed on this movie. I, I think it does have some really great stuff working for it and then some stuff that I just don't really connect with. And and I don't know why, because everything about it is very well made and constructed and I appreciate the, the sort of journey we go on. But yeah, I don't I don't know why I'm I'm so mixed on it. It's just fine to me. And and I know a lot of people really adore that movie, including yourself. I kind of get it though, to be honest. Like, I can understand why somebody wouldn't like Locke. Like, and because the thing is, though, you don't. It, I've a lot of criticism I've heard about is people be like, "Oh, it's boring. Oh, it's this. It's that." Like, it's just kind of shticky, as I call yeah, it. Yeah, I don't. I don't earlier. think that though. Yeah, that's. I know that that's not why you don't like it. I think it just doesn't yeah. really land with you. But yeah, that that's the thing I find interesting. The reason that you don't like it is because it's not for those reasons that I have heard, and I do understand those bits. But I kind of get it when a movie just doesn't 
do it for you like objectively yeah. you're like yes it's a well-made movie but subjectively it's just not your thing so yeah. i get that it's fine i feel like that sort of happens between you and i more often than it yeah. doesn't we're like you'll absolutely love something or i'll absolutely something love something and the other person will be like i don't know it wasn't bad but like it just wasn't for me but that that's like that's the joy of I guess art in general is like you can yeah. step away and be like, all of the mechanics of this thing are good. Like every individual part of it, you know, it's a good movie, but just for whatever reason, it just doesn't work for you. I can't think of one recently for me that just didn't work for me, even though I knew it was a good movie. I have yeah. many of those though, I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what's your number four? So my number four is, um, Mr. Turner, the Mike Lee film, and probably um, the most underseen movie that's going to pop up on on either of our lists, unless you have something wild card on uh, that you're going to reveal. And uh, really going to be pandering to Bill Antonio here because I know he also really likes this film. Uh, I, I think he does. I know he's talked about it before on, on his podcast, so I hope he does. I'm not just making things up. Uh, but yeah, this movie was nominated for four Oscars, and I feel like no one has heard of it. Um, it... Um, it's about the British painter J.M.W. Turner, and it's sort of about the the last years of his life and sort of what is going on um, as he's sort of trying to cement his legacy and figure out what his place in the art world is. It stars Timothy Spall in a beautiful performance. If anyone is as if if anyone has never seen Turner's artwork, it's absolutely fantastic. He does these really large scale paintings that best to describe is they're very elemental. So he does a lot of things of like uh, lots of ships, lots of boats and harbors and docks and ports and all that sort of stuff or, or boats in the middle of the ocean. And it's often, you know, there's um, tumult going on somewhere. Is, is there a thunderstorm happening? Is there clearly the sun not shining? All this sort of stuff where I look at his paintings and I just... I can feel the conflict inside of him being poured out onto the canvas in what looks like landscapes, but done in such a unique way. And I, I sort of appreciate, I the only biopics I like are biopics that sort of take a specific slice of life moment from the person's life. I hate these career spanning, life spanning biopics because they try to fit way too much into a movie and it just never works. And so this is about the very end of Turner's life as he's sort of being like, well, where do I fit in? I'm sort of the elder statesman of the art community. I'm respected, but not revered. Where do I sort of fit in with everything? And he's just sort of trying to figure everything out about his life. And it's it's a fantastic movie. It's very long, but it's incredible. And I love Timothy Spall. He's one of those great character actors. He pops up in Harry Potter movies as Wormtail, a whole bunch of other stuff that people probably recognize him from. But he rarely, rarely, rarely gets to be the leading man. And this, he's the lead in it. He's always the guy that's like, you're like, oh, him. He's yes. that kind of a guy. He's that kind of an actor. Um, yep. I'd never heard of this movie. And it sounds really great. I'm going to probably figure out a way to watch it, even though... This is this is this is a very Dakota movie, isn't it? It is very much very a Dakota, Dakota movie. Yes, <laughs> um, I love Timothy Fall though, so I will hundred percent watch it. Uh, I'm with you on the biopic thing, by the way. I don't. I recently watched the George Foreman one, the new one that um, is out this weekend. And worst title for a movie. Well, they do the thing of literally from when George Foreman is a child up until he wins the second. Uh, yeah, he wins the second. Um, heavyweight champ title and it's a lot like that's a lot to shove into two and a half hours mm -hmm. of film and 
to me, it's just like you're just running at such a fast clip that you're not able to really focus on anything. And and if that's the case, I may as well just look up their Wikipedia page. You know, like that. It, I don't really see the point of it nowadays, anyways, because I think we've kind of moved on from that. But uh, clearly, we haven't moved on from that because they keep doing that. And all of yeah. you know, the Elvis movie was kind of like that too. It basically did a um, a cradle to grave thing, yeah, um, quite literally with him and. I don't did the Elton John one. Did that go his full career? Kind of, it did, didn't it? More or less, it, it did. Was a little bit, but it, I think they they approached it in a more unique way. Yeah, that was. Know, a, I think that's it. an example of a really well done one that they spanned yes. quite a bit of time. But I was comparing the big George Foreman film to Ali, which is uh, I think a very good movie, and that one only takes ten years of Muhammad Ali's life, which yeah. again a much better way to go about it. But I will have to check this movie out. I think it's. Mm-hmm. Very I think you'd like it. It looks like something actually I think I, I would like, but um, you said before you introduced that this was going to be the most unknown one, unless I threw a wrench into that. And I might have, which funny enough, it is my number four. Um, but I have mentioned this on the podcast before, though. So it's the movie called Coherence, which I mentioned in the Better Know a Contributor episode that I did. Um, and when Callum did his episode of better no contributor, he also wanted to say the same movie because he, um, for the question of what's the question it's like, what is a movie that not a lot of people know about that? Yeah. Something something like that. that. Um, and Callum basically had the exact same one. So coherence was a movie that it's, I don't even really know how to explain it, but it's, it's, it's kind of setting in, in a time where there's like alternative realities and there's like a shooting star thing happens and it just changes time for that evening. And so these people who are at a house party are able to see themselves in a different plane of time in a plane of existence and things get kind of weird and sp- not spooky, but like just kind of weird and creepy. Um, and it's very, very sci-fi. It's very, thrillery but not not in um not in like an action thriller way uh it's it's a really really interesting movie and i think that the less you know about it going into it other than the fact that it's just kind of a weird sci-fi film um the better you're going to be for it it's i believe now quite widely available actually like i think that it's on it was on amazon prime in canada for a really long time i don't know if it still is but if you haven't seen it yet, I would highly recommend um watching Coherence because it is just one of these mind-bendy movies that's really really interesting and from the time that i saw it to now it's a movie that i still think about it like i still it still crosses my brain every now and then and anytime i meet somebody who has also watched it and inevitably loves it like you end up having a very very lengthy conversation about it mm. yeah it seems to be on prime shutter and movie in canada so nah, perfect it's, definitely it's on movie that's awesome i love that yeah Oh, I love that. It's a great, great movie, though. And I don't know. It, this is kind of one of those funny movies where it's like, it's great, but I don't know if it's great because I genuinely had n- no idea about it beforehand. Whereas now I feel like that movie has probably built up a little bit of a cult following. So there's yeah. an expectation to it. And maybe if you watch it now, maybe it's not that interesting. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I, I think it's a really cool movie. And the behind the scenes stuff in terms of the production is pretty interesting. Like they didn't have a script um, or anything like that. And they were just given notes on the day of from the director. And each each actor was given different things. Like uh, the circumstances were different for everybody. So the the way that they reacted to each other is kind of genuine. And like the confusion that they had, um, that they weren't all on the same page is actually genuine. So yeah, 
Interesting. Okay, so my number three movie is Selma, directed by Ava DuVernay. Uh, So yeah, this was a movie that came out super late in the Oscar season. Like, it was like, you know, December 2014. And so it just barely sort of squeaked in and got a couple nominations, including uh, one for Best Picture and Best Director. It was actually the very first time a woman of color was nominated for Best Director, and a feat that was not repeated until six years later when Chloe Zhao was nominated and won for Nomadland. Um, but yeah, this was uh, this was a movie that like came in super late in the year, and there was a bunch of buzz about it. And then I feel like because it came out so late, it was sort of in competition for all of the sort of end of the year lists. And then when the calendar flipped it was sort of forgotten about. And I don't really hear this movie talked about all that much since it's come out, which is sort of interesting because I think it's an absolutely fascinating. It's so hard to portray someone like Martin Luther King Jr. on screen. And David Oyelowo did such an amazing job in that. And I appreciate that it was, you know, we're talking about biopics that take place at a specific moment. It's very much about the, uh, the March from, um, from Montgomery to Selma and, uh, and I, and I think they did a really good job of being like, this is the moment in life towards the end of Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. And, and sort of how was he able to organize this? It's not about like him sort of starting up his activism and, and sort of gaining a following and all this sort of stuff. It really was like he is the leader at this point. And, and we get some really interesting, you know, interactions of – uh, I believe it was like him and Malcolm X writing letters to each other when MLK was in prison. And so we get some really interesting stuff that's going on with that. And, and just a really great supporting cast as well. I, I really like this movie and, uh, and I'm surprised that Ava DuVernay has not really done a lot since I know she did the documentary 13th. Other than that, I don't know if she's done another movie since then. I know she's done some TV work, but yeah, it's, it's one of those movies that, uh, I, I really would like to see t- get talked about more. She did that um, time. What is that movie called? Time something. A Wrinkle in Time. Oh right, and which that bomb so was not hard. good. Yeah, that was not a good yeah. movie. And I think that was meant to be like her big after Selma. Like that was going to be her big movie after. But um, I mean, to be fair, A Wrinkle in Time. I've read the book. It's not a an easy book to put into film. But yeah, that didn't do very well. Um, yeah, she hasn't done a movie since then. It's all been TV work. Yeah, and she's very good at it, though. So keep, mm-hmm. keep going, Ava. Uh, Selma, I, I'm trying to think. I think I, I watched it once. I enjoyed it. I never really went back to it. It didn't really stick with me either. Not to say it's a bad movie, because I do remember thinking, this is a very good movie. And Oyelowo is incredible. as, Mar- And mm-hmm. I think that might have been the first time I saw him in a movie. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't know if I'd seen him in anything else because and he, I was, he was mostly doing British stuff before then. That's the thing. I was shocked he was British. <laughs> yeah. He's one of those British actors that I I was like, their American accent is just so good. Like I think of Christian Bale, um, Idris Elba, like two people who a lot of people still, Hugh Laurie is another one. A lot of people don't realize they're not American because their American accents yeah. are just so, so convincing. Um, yeah. And I mean, credit to a yellow too. It's not just like a, a general American accent. Like he, he had a very it's specific recreating MLK. Yeah. A very, very specific cadence to talking that most people, especially I think if you're, especially if you're from America, but um, I would say North America, generally speaking, um, we are all very, very familiar with, with how Martin Luther King spoke. Um, and so that, that's not an easy job at all. So I, yeah, I think it's a great, I should re- rewatch that movie. Cause I think it's, 
um, probably a lot better than I remember it being. I just remember watching and liking it, but it, I just kind of moved past it after that. Um, but yeah, uh, my number three was your number 10, which is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Nice. I love this movie. I think I, it's my, my favorite. This and Mission Impossible are my two favorite franchises, but I think Planet of the Apes is to me, hands down the best trilogy. And I'm a bit upset that they're coming out with another one because I think it ruins the trilogy thing. Although I think it's nothing, not nothing to do with the original three, but I think it's going to be a little bit separate. But anyways, I think it's the best trilogy that has ever been made. Like it's incredible to me that this, so Dawn of the Planet Apes was the second one. It's, it like it it's one of the few trilogies that got better as it kept going and i yeah. would say say thing for mission impossible is that those movies got better as the franchise went on which is not usually how these things go usually the third movie of a, of a trilogy kind of sucks and if you're lucky the sequel is sometimes better than the first um but that doesn't happen that often either um so yeah i think planet apes is it's an incredible like that that whole trilogy is such an incredible feat of work um from matt reeves and but this is his first one i think right matt, matt reeves yeah he didn't do the first, first one. one no and then andy circus i just like that was kind of the first time that i thought about this idea of the motion capture um performance and how much those should be uh, valued and recognized and awarded which they still aren't which is a real shame to me but um yeah i adore this movie and um i mean you already talked about it but it's probably one of that the eight trilogies by far it is my favorite trilogy out there definitely yeah it's fine so we both sort of mentioned that the trilogy gets better and the, the first one rise of the planet of the apes i think you absolutely need that movie mm-hmm. to set up the the next two because mm-hmm. they did such a good job of actually making it believable because anytime we've seen a planet of the apes movies it's just boom we're in the future apes can talk and they've taken over and humans can't talk anymore and and that's sort of the world that we're in uh, and I think Rise does such a good job of setting the story up of how does Caesar learn to start talking um, and how does the ape rebellion begin. It's not a great movie and and I it's mostly I feel like it's because of like the James Franco performance. He's not that good in it. <laughs> I still um, think it's a good movie. It's not it's not like the best movie I've ever seen in my life. But I still movie, think yeah. it's a good movie. Like I would it's kind of like Interstellar. It, it's bottom <laughs> oh, bottom Nolan, but it's still oh. very good. Like it's still good. But you really needed that yeah, movie to I sort agree. of set everything up because by the time Rise and uh, sorry Dawn and Battle happen, ever this world is so hyper specific, and you understand exactly what's going on and the evolution of how the apes have been able to learn how to talk, learn how to become more human like mm-hmm. with their ability to use machines and all that sort of stuff is just so fascinating and yeah andy circus is great but i also really want to highlight toby kebbell who plays yes uh, koba the villain yeah absolutely, absolutely. terrifying yeah mm-hmm. very very good toby kebbell he's he's a very very underrated actor i think for a time yeah. people thought he was going to be something big but then he didn't end up kind of taking that role but he's very good in everything that i've seen him in um yeah. one thing i was gonna say but i love the i think every now and then on twitter i'll see somebody put the three versions of Caesar like in a row, just like a shot of him staring straight on. And I love the way that they, they aged him a very, like it's not even aging him. It is just making him look so weary as time goes on. I Mm -hmm. love it. I, yeah, I think it's just such an incredible, 
it's such an incredible feat i think to make a good trilogy because that is as we've seen it is not easy to do and um i mean even filmmakers like chris nolan arguably a lot of people think he didn't even land the very very end of batman or the dark knight trilogy rather um I, i like dark knight rises but that's fine I just think it's it's not an easy thing to do, and they did it really well. And especially considering they had a change in director, that's almost even more impressive um, than having one person like Chris Nolan do it. Although arguably, maybe you could say the reason that it did as well as it did is because Matt Reeves stepped in. Um, yes. Who is an incredible director and did a great Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. What is your number two? My number two. uh I, I was wondering when this is going to come up on your list, and it hasn't yet. So I have a feeling we're, it's going to be in the, the top two for you as well. Uh, and that's Nightcrawler, the the Dan Gilroy movie. And I think people are going to be upset that it's not my number one movie because it is such an incredible Jake Gyllenhaal performance. Um, Simon Best knows exactly what I'm talking about here. He, he adores <laughs> his, his, his Gyllenhaal. Uh, but yeah, like... I don't think there every once in a while a movie comes around where it is so prophetic and so ahead of its time in being able to completely nail down what is happening in the world, like the way that Nightcrawler has. Like it's up there with something like Network, and obviously both are sort of about you know what happens on TV versus reality and all that sort of stuff, and, and maybe that's why I'm comparing them. But yeah, very rarely is a movie able to sort of hone in on what is the disease of society. And the disease of society is our inability to look away at something regardless at how horrific or unsettling it is. And we get basically... This movie is basically holding our heads and basically like rubbing our no- noses in in the mess we've created on the floor and being like, "Look, this is this is us as a society. This is what we do, and you're gonna watch this and you're gonna hate it, <laughs> and it's gonna reveal everything about us as a whole. And it is absolutely terrifying. I, I like Jake Gyllenhaal is not a quote unquote bad guy in this movie, but I don't there. He's up there for one of the most terrifying performances I've ever seen put to screen. He's just so uncanny valley and unnatural. Where if you if if they would have revealed afterwards and be like, haha, in reality, he was a robot the whole time. <laughs> he'd be like, damn, yeah, I believe that. Um yeah, I, I don't know what else needs to be said about Nightcrawler at this point. I don't know if you really want to comment on this or if you just kind of want to let my thoughts be for the moment and maybe come back to it later. That's up to you. Well. I will say I did a bit of massaging of uh, movie years, as I did with Underneath the Skin and Locke, actually. <laughs> so my number one is something different, but Enemy is act- – or sorry, Enemy is my number one. Uh, Nightcrawler is my number two as well. Okay. Just for that reason, I if, if we're going off of the actual releases dates, then sure, Nightcrawler would have been my number one. But I'm um, – as that episode will show – Simon and I, we love Jake Gyllenhaal. We're big Jake Gyllenhaal fans. And we've actually messaged each other on WhatsApp about Jake Gyllenhaal since. I love the guy. He's amazing. (laughs) And I remember very distinctly watching Nightcrawler for the first time and feeling so uncomfortable when the movie was finished. Like I had the oddest, most unsettling feeling I've ever had. And I haven't had this since, since watching a movie. It was just this thing that lingered with me for days afterwards i felt really uncomfortable (laughs) about everything and 
I think what Nightcrawler does so well is like Dan Gilroy obviously sets up this incredible world that is super, super dark. And it really toys with kind of, I said, it toys with our own concept of what is of, of morality. Like what do we consider? Okay. What do we not consider? Okay. And how implicit are we or complicit rather are we in those things that are not okay? So you know, Nightcrawler starts or not starts, but it is the idea of taking those videos of people who've been in these horrific car accidents. And then we see them on the news though. And every time I go to the States now and you watch the news in like a hotel room or something like that, I always think of Nightcrawler because I think of Mm -hmm. how absurdly in a way, like glamorize and fetishize that they make those clips. And Mm -hmm. it's weird because you're watching it and it's that idea of you can't, you can't look away from a car crash, right? Yeah. And Nightcrawler just so, so brilliantly targets that exact thing. Cause I just, it's, I think it's one of, it's probably one of my most favorite movies of all time. Like I have yet to experience a movie where I came away and I was just that uncomfortable for so many days on end and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal is creepy as shit. I agree with you. He's not a bad guy in this movie, but he's creepy as hell isn't he he's really really creepy and he's terrifying and he's terrifying i think because we all we all kind of understand in a way where he's coming from in terms of you do what you need to do to survive especially when it comes to like work stuff maybe um hopefully not to the extent that he does it in the movie but yeah it's for me it's just that it made me really think about you know how much am I, even if just like, am am I being a participant in this kind of nonsense where we all do know, like television is terrible. Like the state of media. um, I mean, this, this is what nearly 10 years ago and the state of media hasn't exactly changed. If you could argue, it's probably gotten worse with social media and all that kind of stuff. And people just filming each other or strangers out in public without knowing that they're being filmed kind of thing. Um, but then it's like, you're sitting there watching it and you're sitting there saying, so yeah, it's a movie that gave me a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings and, um, I love it. And I think it's probably, I mean, it sucks cause it's Dan Gilroy's, I think first movie that he ever directed. Um, and I don't foresee him ever really topping it. Same with Alex Garland for Ex Machina. I think their first go out of the gate is just going to be, that's the thing that is the greatest thing that they ever made, but it's also the great, like some of the greatest movies ever made as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it's very tough to beat. Yeah, it's tough, sure. yeah. But um, we say tough to beat, but we did um, we did beat them with because they're both of our number twos. So, what is your number one pick for twenty fourteen? My number one should have won Best Picture that year, and that is Boyhood, the mm. Richard Linklater film. Uh, I don't think you can pick a more Dakota movie, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Linklater is such a fascinating... <laughs> we thought Mr. Turner was Dakota, like, no, no. <laughs> um, Richard Linklater is such an interesting director yeah. because I, I don't think there's a director with higher highs and lower lows <laughs> than than Linklater. And I every time he you, you think he's like maybe made his last movie because he's released such a bomb, he follows it up with an all-time classic movie. And you're just like, how does he keep getting away with this? I don't understand. Uh, I, I don't know what, what else can be said about Boyhood. By now, everyone sort of knows about it. You know, it's 
It's the movie that took 12 years to film, and he's trying to outdo himself by spending 25 years making a movie right now. He's he's doing Merrily We Roll Along, and it's going to take him 25 years to film it because it's a play. It's a musical that takes place over 25 years. So he's like, hey, fuck it. I did Boyhood over 12 years. What's 25 years? Let's do this. <laughs> um Boyhood is basically, you know, he made the Before Trilogy and and I think everyone absolutely adores it. And Boyhood is basically, what if the Before Trilogy was one movie sort of thing um, of chronicling people's lives and relationships and things like that. And I, I absolutely loved it. And, you know... Uh, people sort of scoffed at it then and people still sort of scoff at it now. But, uh, but when I'm on Linklater's wavelength, I'm really on his wavelength. And and this is one of those movies that like just really hits me and has so many emotional moments in it that just absolutely tear me up. I am one of those people that scoffs at this movie. (laughs) I am a a scoffer of, of boyhood. I think, I think my issue with it is kind of exactly what you just said, which is, what if you took the before trilogy and made it into one movie? So I'm kind of like, well, we've already seen the before trilogy and the before trilogy. Mm. That's another trilogy that is pretty perfect. Like I don't really, I I don't think there's a bad movie in that trilogy either. Um, And I guess similar in the same way with Wes Anderson, I'm just kind of like do something different. That being said, I just said how much I love Chris Nolan and you could argue Chris Nolan does very, very similar things throughout all of his movies as well. So I like Linklater and I think what you said, like when you're on Linklater's wavelength, like you really get into it because he's very good at that, isn't he though? Like when, when you're on, when you're, when you're in, when you're with Linklater, when you're, when you're, when you're seeing eye to eye with the man, like he has a way of just tapping into a part of your brain or a part of your soul or your heart or whatever that just really, really connects. And so I get where people have the connection to boyhood. I just never really got it. Um, but funny enough, my, my two favorite Linklater movies are the rotoscoping movies that he did. So maybe, oh, yeah. maybe I just really like him doing animated stuff um, and the before trilogy as well. Um, but it's a good movie. I think Boyhood is a good movie. And I've, I've always been really impressed with Boyhood in the fact that those two kids um, stayed and continued to do the movie because – that's not easy. Um, how old were they when they started? They were like eight. I don't remember. They're fairly They're young. They're very young. Uh, and the idea that, you know, 12 years later, they were still willing, like all those years to do that, going through those kind of bratty teenage years. The pre- You know what I mean? Like, I, and I don't mm-hmm. know if there's a, like a darker, more sinister story behind that where their parents were like, you need to do this kind of thing. Well, the, the daughter not. is that Linklater's is Linklater's daughter. kid. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and she did want to quit. And he, I, I heard him say like, he wasn't, he didn't ever want to tell her like she had to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, if you're his daughter, or, like if you're any kid, like I can understand that you just go like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And they would be well within their right to say, like, I, I don't like I don't want to be an actor anymore. Maybe when I was eight, it seemed like a really cool idea, um, but I just don't really feel like doing it anymore. Uh, but uh, shockingly, that didn't happen. And yeah, a lot of things had to go right for that movie to even get made. And um, impressively, they did. So well done, Richard Linklater. 
<laughs> my so what's number, one? number one is I already kind of mentioned it. It's Enemy. Um, so technically, it did come out in uh, film festivals in 2013, but A24 didn't release it till 2014. So I'm counting it as a 2014 movie because I love it, and I don't think we're going to do a best of 2013 <laughs> episode of this. I love Enemy a lot. These are like two of my favorite Jake Gyllenhaal performances: it's Nightcrawler and Enemy. Um, Enemy slightly takes it over Nightcrawler just simply because I really, really love Denis Villeneuve's kind of way of filming. And um, yeah, he's my favorite director right now. So that that's the only reason that it topped it. But they may as well have been tied for first, to be honest. Uh, we did an episode on, I guess we've done three A24 episodes on my top 10 list. So we did <laughs> Enemy. And I'm drawing a blank at who we did this episode with. Uh, I actually want to say I think it's Alex Watson. I think we did um, Enemy with Alex Watson because um, I remember he had some very, very intelligent things to say about this movie. It's one of those kind of it's kind of mind bendy as well, similar in, the, in in a different way to Nightcrawler, but in a similar way as they're both mind bendy movies and or not, 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 not Nightcrawler, sorry, Coherence. Um, they both have that kind of aspect of kind of if the same person existed, but like on another plane, but this is doppelganger situation going on. So it's kind of trying to believe that somebody out there just looks exactly like you. And there's just something about Jake Gyllenhaal's. He again, just absolutely nails his performance because he's a fantastic actor. And Simon and I can continue to talk about Jake Gyllenhaal um, for years to come, but it's was one of my favorite movies of all time, just as Nightcrawler is. And uh, yeah, I really like it. So we can, flip to the a24 episode we did on this one as well because we talked about it at length on there yeah you you're right it was with alex watson and yeah that was another fantastic episode alex was brought so much great Mm -hmm. uh, discourse to that episode i was so happy with the way that one turned out because that was that that could have been a very tough one to talk about because it's such a dense movie and and we didn't get too into the weeds with like the the psychology of it all so i sort of appreciate that we were able to to really have a a good discussion about it yeah it's incredible and you i mean i know you really like this movie as well but i don't mm-hmm. think you're as as keen on it as me no i i, I really adore it yeah you really no, adore it's, it's, it's like up there for you yeah is yep. it would you consider this to be top tier denis uh i i would Oh, that's yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I would probably call it top tier. He's not it's not my favorite Villeneuve, uh, because that's Ansandi. Uh, but it's probably right like up top there. half, like top half of his Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like his, yeah, yeah. I, I would probably say like top three, maybe. Yeah, I think for me too. Yeah, I think for me too. I really love Denis Villeneuve. He's such a great director. Mm-hmm. Um but anyways, that is our top tens of twenty fourteen, and that is in celebration of eight years of ContraZoom Pod. So as I started with some questions that Dakota didn't know I was going to ask you, I'll end it on a question that you didn't know I was going to ask you either. Um, looking ahead, what is some things that you're kind of wanting to achieve with the podcast? Unless you don't want to, if you want to save that as like a little secret oh. to yourself. But like, what are some like, I suppose, broader goals for the podcast that that you have in mind? Wow, that's... Um... I don't think I've ever actually put into like words or thoughts of like where I want the show to go. I think we're at like such a good wavelength right now of of what we're doing that I, I think we we've really found our groove and I'm sort of just sort of riding this wave right now and, and enjoying what we're doing. We're 
recovering movies I want to be talking about. We're doing a good mix of old and new. Um, I think we've got a great roster of friends that not only are willing to come onto the show, but want to come onto the show and like will bug us and being like, hey, when can I come on again? Which absolutely blows my mind. <laughs> Every time someone says that they, they want to come on again or, or come on for a first time is, is just so flattering to me. And so, yeah, that, that's tough. I feel like because it's funny, I, I would love to do more film festivals, but because of my work schedule, I often just don't have the time. Summertime is great because I'm I'm limitedly working during the summer, so I can I can do the spring and summer festivals uh, and stuff like that, and be able to to kind of do them justice. But over the the fall and winter is really tough to do some some of the more intense stuff. So that's why. I, I sort of pivot hard into Oscar season because it's like, oh, I can just focus on that. I don't have to worry about anything else. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think we're just at a really good place right now. I think in the last year or so, and especially since we, we've we partnered up with that shelf, things have just been so smooth. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say the schedule makes itself, but it kind of does. Like, people aren't going to see this ever, but like you, you see what the schedule looks mm-hmm. like. And I basically have the schedule built out till the end of August. I did that, you know, one afternoon in half an hour, just was able to sort of look at and be like, Oh, where's some of the stuff we want to do? You know, the A 24 movies, are there film festivals going on? Um, we sort of got a good pattern of things we like to hit and do. And honestly, I think it's, I'm just, yeah, like I said, I'm just riding this wave of of really enjoying it. What about you? Do you have any thoughts of where we're going or, or the future of the show? Oh, serves me right. I wasn't anticipating. Didn't think being, I'd turn the tables, huh? Wasn't, wasn't anticipating having to answer this myself. Um, not really. I think I agree with you. Like, I think that the the show has... I don't want to say has found because I actually don't know what in terms of like saying it's found a groove because um, I just feel like I kind of jumped in at a time when the show was already on its way into said groove. And so I feel like I've just kind of hopped on and, and tagged along with the ride of it. And I like it. I think it's fun. Like, I think there's very rarely been an episode that came up that you were like, let's do this. And I'm just like, Ugh. like, I'm just like dragging my feet to have to watch everything or to do it or, or not really wanting to record. Um, I mean, say for me just having a bad day or something like that, but that actually hasn't happened very much. Um, yeah, I think with it, so I, I find it as like, it's fun. I think that's the main thing is that it's fun to do. And when you're doing a podcast like this, which is, you know, you don't get paid for it. You don't, um, we don't have like thousands upon thousands of listeners, right? We do it because we enjoy doing it and because it's fun. So I feel like as long as we can continue that trend, um, of us wanting to record every week and looking forward to, you know, whatever episodes are coming up in the in the next few months or in the next few years. I think that that's a pretty solid goal to have is just to kind of continue enjoying doing it in the way that we're doing it. Yeah, I think that's that's very well very well put. Um, all right, I think this is a perfect 
place to wrap things up. Uh, Rachel, what are you working on? Where can people find you? I know we're both kind of covering Hot Docs Film Festival. Uh, so I imagine both of us are going to be posting a lot of reviews in you know the next week or so, and we'll eventually do a podcast about it. But is there anything right now you want to kind of uh, publish or sorry, promote? Uh, yeah, so as you said, Hot Docs stuff, um, most of my th- coverage of that festival is going to be between exclaim and pov magazine um so there's an interview i did with the director sean harlow and steve j adams on satan wants you and also with the director of coven uh rama rao uh so i did a piece for pov magazine on that one and uh, i was very happy with that one actually it was like a bit difficult because it's one one article for both for the two documentaries so it's not two separate um pieces Mm, okay um but yeah and like i have some reviews on exclaim and i think i got one more going up and then i got a few more to to do for pov magazine um other than that it's uh rachelkh.com underscore rachelkh on twitter and instagram and yeah that's about it Nice. I I've watched Satan Wants You Too, and I'm very excited to read yeah. your, your interview. Uh, I wrote a review of that. That's going to be going up on on that shelf. Uh, so I'll link to that when that comes out, and with uh, whatever else I end up reviewing as well. Um, obviously, you haven't recorded it yet, but I'm going to pre-plug your appearance on Classic oh, yes. Movies Live. You're going to be talking about speed. Um, yeah. So when that comes out, I will make sure to share that. However is the best way to do that. Um, but yeah, you, um, I'm very excited for, for hot dogs. It looks like it's going to be a good one. Uh, but yeah, this has been a that shelf podcast. Visit ThatShelf.com for more great film discourse. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Uh, what did you think of 2014? Did we name your favorite movie from that year? Or did we say some ridiculous things? Let us know. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.